Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The Incomparable. Number 667. May 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this is one of those episodes, you know, we've done uh, almost 700 episodes. And since the beginning, this has been one of the ones I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to do that episode. I have, for decades, listed the 14-episode, two-season, barely, ABC mid-80s television series Max Headroom among my top all-time top five TV series and haven't done a podcast episode about it until now. Joining me to talk about Max Headroom, all of us live and direct from 20 minutes into the future, are the following wonderful people. Monty Ashley, hello. Hi, Jason. I love this show. <laughs> I do too, Monty. I do too. Moises Chuyan is here. Hi, Moises. Jason, you wouldn't d- d- download an education. <laughs> Warren Fry joins us. Warren, welcome. Hello. Yes, hello. Hello. Um, this is kind of weird to admit, and I'll probably refute it a little later, but this is one of the reasons uh, I became a journalist, this show. The other one is Kermit the Frog and his reporter outfit, so... I don't know what that tells you about me, but... Flip a coin on that. But no, no, it's very meaningful. Uh, Cicero Holmes joins us as well. Hi, Cicero. I'm here to make sure that the ratings stay up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> what what about the people? What about the damage? What about the loss of democracy? Forget all that. What about the ratings? Ra- clunk, the ratings. clunk, 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 clunk. <laughs> and uh, our, our special uh, guest, a, a, a Max Headroom expert, the co-host of the 20 Minutes into the Future podcast, what... It's Austin Rich. Austin, welcome to the Incomparable. Me, humble, <laughs> modest, shy little me on the Incomparable. Um. Okay, so let me let me take you back to a time when uh, there weren't very many science fiction TV shows on or or anything like Max Headroom on the air, especially on network TV in the mid eighties. Yeah. This aired on ABC a- and mm-hmm. this aired on ABC, ABC it, 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 a network. Yeah. Yeah. It's before Star Trek. The next generation came back in syndication. It's many years before Fox realized that they could try a bunch of, uh, weird, sometimes very bad sci-fi fantasy, techno horror, whatever shows in the Friday night time slot, which, you know, your, your VR fives, your freaky links, your X Files. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, that one worked. I think it's before Fox existed. Yeah, well, it might I be right about right, yeah. when Fox started to exist. Anyway, it, it's it's a way back there, and uh, you know, as a sci-fi fan, as a kid uh, or as a teenager, wh- when Max Headroom came on, I knew Max Headroom. Of course, people in the in the day knew Max Headroom as a commercial pitchman. Um, he had a he had a show on Cinemax where he had little bits and played music videos. He had the Coke ads. 
Uh, but nobody really knew anything more than that. He was sort of a very strange, amorphous zeitgeist figure. And then along comes this show, which was based on a movie that nobody in America had seen, a TV movie from the UK that uh, was adapted for the American uh, hour-long TV format, really kind of like straight up, directed by... Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, the directors of Super Mario Brothers. Um, um, they, they they never miss. It's and that's a very cool that's a very cool uh, TV movie that I think I actually rented on VHS at some point. And so then did I. It was I totally a, did. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it was adapted and turned in. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw the, that ABC had taken that and had made a whole TV series out of it. And watching back now. I am just as amazed that this was a thing that aired on network television <laughs> in 1987 and 88. It's hard to believe, I mean, on so many levels, hard to believe that this got on the air, let alone was inexplicably renewed for a second season. But, you know, that doubled the episode count. So good job. Everybody, most of, most of that budget went to those helicopter shots. Helicopter, uh, yes. oh man, and and the one explosion, and the, and the one explosion with many <laughs> angles that many they angles. reuse over and over in many a few angles. episodes. So, <laughs> so I I want to. I mean, there are lots of things I want to talk about. Obviously, about Max Headroom, especially the subject matter. I feel like some of the subjects that are covered in the show are so prescient, this 20 minutes into the future, mm. that they're still issues that we deal with or are starting to deal with today. All of this time later, which is, I think, really remarkable. But I wanted to start having rewatched this show and asking all of you this, too, for your impressions of this by what an interesting mixture of stuff is in here, because there is some amazing production design where there are sets that are really weird and strange. Everybody, everybody's computers are, are like with typewriter keys. Um, the, there's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy style of the, of what gets displayed on computer screens, including episodes where we're like, we're like, this is a TV show where computer hacking is an activity that happens and that matters. And as we've learned over the last 30 years, it's terrible to show that on television or in movies. And yet somehow they've done that. And, and and there are things like the helicopter and the explosions and the the wastelands that they're in that you think, oh my God, they spent so much money on parts of this show. And then there are other parts where I sit there and I think, you couldn't do a second take. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I just I find it I find it amazing, but what I what my mind erased over the last 30 years from this show is all the parts that are not so amazing. And it really mm-hmm. is like all over the place, like if bursting full of ideas, interesting production design. All the cars are Studebakers. Like there's so many weird things going on here. And yet there are also these things where I'm like, wow, well, that was cheap. They only did that in one take. That dialogue wasn't very good. Right. And it's just, it's, it's a hey, lay off them. <laughs> lay off them. Jason, you're yeah. being mean to a good show that was just doing it its is. best. Come on. It, yeah. It, I, it is. There's, par- I, I, there's parts I, I, of it that allow are. Allow me to, uh, yeah. yeah uh, allow me Go to ahead. concur with Monty. Shut up, Jason. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, Here's so, it's just so 667 the, the thing, episodes that I wanted to do this, but I will be quiet now. Go I, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll 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 get back to you. We'll get back to you. But let me stand up for these uh these these lovely people who um you know started started the thing with the TV movie that was made for Channel Four, and then they were given an American TV deal and had to scramble and suddenly like put together an American TV show. And I totally get them blowing money on the absolute wrong things. 
and and <laughs> the mm-hmm. thing the thing that I love so much what about do you the mean show. Wrong things. <laughs> well, I, okay, the the wrong th- as in you spend most of your budget on helicopter shots and a couple of explosions, um, and I'm 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 saying subjectively, okay, they probably missed that money the moment they realized, oh, that was. That was radically more expensive than we than we had expected. What I love is how much they do with so little in some places and how they they real. I mean, the the extras that you find on, on Shout Factory's marvelous special edition produced great, by my buddy Brian Ward. Great DVD. Um, absolutely yes. great. Uh, but I, I love getting more detail on how really just like t- rubber banded and taped together various things were where, OK, we're shooting this thing tomorrow. We have no location for it. We're going to find a location by the spillway and we're going to turn it around overnight. And and to me, the show is that much more miraculous uh, when when you get just how fl- literally flying by the seat of the pa- their pants they were making this thing. Um and uh, it, it's it's even more of a shame that it got shut down so summarily that that they just shut everything down literally in the middle of uh, they finished a take and they shut the whole thing down and then they took over a bar and they filled this bar um, after having been canceled after having been told by ABC okay you've been spending enough money for enough time uh, n- not another dime get out of there stop. Um, yeah, that, to to me the, the 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 most miraculous thing about this, on top of all of the great actual content of the show, is that they pulled this off. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the production design of this be, it definitely needs to be mentioned a little bit uh, because uh, you know the the um, kind of pieced together nature of it is due to uh, Leslie Frankenheimer, who was the production designer on Blade Runner as well. Uh, and so that was one of the ways where they wanted to spend a little bit of money to kind of get a big name for uh, the show. And uh, I mean, it looks great it in does. terms of the typewriters, in terms of mm-hmm. the screens on screens. All those old, uh, old the weird lighting cars. in the office, which and, and, <laughs> I love the lighting in the office. Oh, where yeah. all, mm. There's just spotlights just outside the window and they've got the windows slatted and there's a whole bunch of smoke, <laughs> smoke in the machines office. Just like every office. 20, 20 minutes everywhere. into the smoke machine, everywhere. <laughs> uh, uh, everywhere. Uh, Gary, Gary, uh, Gary can, you call, can you call the office smoke guy? We yeah. don't have nearly it, enough smoke is, in the office. It is so but hazy. I want, I want to emphasize this for anybody who hasn't seen the show. I love the look of this show. Yes. It's mm. so uh-huh. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the production design is where they spent the money and mm-hmm. they should have. Yep. That's where yes. you get the most bang for your buck. Even when nothing is going on, you can just look at the sets and go, ooh. And, and even when they don't have a great set where, where they have to be, there's a one shot that I noticed in a season two episode I was watching today where they're basically in like a concrete block area between two doors and they're like how do we make this interesting and they're like they got extras wearing weird hats and weird coats and like a a, like a rickshaw and like a like a hot dog cart and they put it all in there and then edison carter played by matt frewer who was also max headroom walks through it and it's sort of handheld and it's staged in such a way that it feels like he's in like a a very busy street where there's a market going on and I'm watching it thinking, wow, you know, they, (laughs) this is not the most lavish set, but they have, they have done what they can to establish this 
Because, again, this is not set in our world. This is set in a bizarre future time where there are Studebakers, but also the computer hackers and, and like, large portions of the population apparently live in a wasteland with nothing but TVs and oil drums full of burning trash. That is the environment. world. Yeah, that is the world of Max Headroom. So you can't just fake it. <laughs> You can't. It's it's a and, and I mean overall it's a very British show with a thoroughly American mm-hmm. accent and a Canadian yes. lead. Yes. Um and and I, I I love all of the mixtures of things at play. And I I'm I think I you know I I hope it was clear that I was mostly joking about them not spending the money right. I, I think just knowing what helicopter shots cost that might have bought them another couple of episodes. Yeah. Uh, had had they just had they done a couple of helicopter shots and reused them because the the, the um, I I am frankly amazed at at uh, Tamani's point how intricate and um, wonderful to look at even in standard death all of these sets are yeah. uh, it, it it feels like a completely lived in world that that looks like it cost a thousand times what they actually spent on it. I mean, in 1987, a lot of shows wanted to go into airwolf mode, so I can't right, I can't, right. can't get too mad at them for that. I had that. This was the I first think they time. Had that, two helicopters. This is the first time that I've actually. I was watching it and I was thinking, well, you know, it was the 80s. There's, you know, your your A team and your Magnum PI and your Airwolf, and like having a helicopter was cool. But it's not just that they have a helicopter; they have the Network 23 With chopper. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. also also let's I wanted to point out that in one in uh there's a there's a scene in the season two episode where Edison Carter is at home and he's gonna go out on a story and he tells Theora, Amanda Pace, wonderful as his controller, Theora, um, uh, have Martinez pick me up. And I thought, wow, now that is a network twenty-three expense account. He's not gonna even right. go to the scene or come into the office. They're going to send <laughs> their helicopter to pick him up at his house. Oh, to be Edison Carter. Even, I don't right. think he can drive. He, they never show him driving no. or anything. Oh, he, he only drives in his dreams. Why would he? <laughs> oh, that's Why right. In his, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, in his yeah. dreams. In his dreams, he's right. So you guys you guys have been talking about what this show is. Um, I kind of want to talk about what this show was for me. Oh, yes, please. Um, uh, so this show, so I, I obviously, as a, as a red-blooded American, remember Max Headroom and and every you know all in all the different permutations outside of the one that happened in England um you know it was America that America was the only one that matters um <laughs> but for the for the last 35 years so I watched the show when it came on ABC but for the last 35 years this show has been a fever dream for me mm-hmm. um mm. where where all of these things happened but also, the events of the 1990s John Wesley Ship's Flash also happened, combined, <laughs> uh-huh. right. featuring Amanda Pace. Right. So, like, so just <laughs> in my brain, I just see Amanda Pace, and and sometimes it's the Flash, and then sometimes it's Edison Carter, and sometimes it's Max Hedrum, and I don't know where any of those things stopped. Or, or like interconnected. I believe they're in a connected universe <laughs> mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. in my brain. Now, um, Cicero, Cicero, uh, we live in the real world. Cicero lives in the Amanda Pays connected universe. Yeah, that's right. That is correct. So you, you have it even further better, compacted better in your memory. Yeah, it's probably a Star Labs uh, experiment that combined the universes at one point. And uh, yeah, and, yeah, Makes it might have been a bit vert. 
Yeah, it could have been a play. You know, um, recently baseball teams started doing ads during the game, like in the inning. They'll be like, and now take, <laughs> we take a moment for a 15-second break for a word from our sponsor. And, you know, those are blipferts. I call them blipferts. Bl- the idea of the blipfert has stayed with me, and, like, we live in a blipfert era now, um, <laughs> straight out of the original TV movie and then and then the pilot. Um, Warren, haven't heard from you. you yes. You're, a, you're a, 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 someone who's lived through the 80s. Uh, yes, indeed. Did you enjoy revisiting this uh, from the perspective of the, yes. the future, 20 minutes into the future? Everything you guys said was true, although it, it is weirdly timeless and very 80s at the same time. I'm not it sure is. how it pulls that off, but yes. it does. <laughs> like you can, other than the hair, you're like, this doesn't necessarily have to be in the 80s. It's kind of, but parts of it are like, I remember watching the pilot, which I did, did yesterday. Uh, and I'm like, wow, Carter is definitely a... a bit of a me too there's, right, there's a right. bit of a creep yeah. factor here oh, yeah. and that, and that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. fades away as the show goes on but there's one episode i just saw today where where he sees theora with somebody else on her picture phone and he gets all freaked out i'm like well this is something that would be dismissed out of hand mm-hmm. or never written about in 2023 but in 1980 whatever everybody's probably taking his side which is odd you know so so just things i was noticing that i definitely didn't notice at 15 when i first watched it in one of the later episodes, uh, uh, what's his, um, uh, uh, Murray uh, just suddenly puts his hands on her shoulders, and yes, and her yes. reaction, her reaction is very clear that she was not expecting it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, oh, Tambor, you did yeah. not know how badly that was going it's, to age. It's the bad touch. Yes, right. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tambor is in Max Headroom for those who didn't know. Yes. On the other hand. As somebody who's worked in television, a toxic workplace, you don't say. You don't, yeah. No. A toxic, oh, a toxic yeah. workplace in the, in, the news, no. in the news environment. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, um, I was going to talk about the sexism in the show and say it is the 80s feminist sexism. Uh, which is mm. which is look at us we're so forward thinking we, our show has a lady controller and then there's Janie Crane the lady reporter and look at us and it's like yeah but you called him the lady you called her the lady reporter so right and so it's and like don't pack yourself Janie on the back Crane too much disappears after what two episodes she's in two episodes yeah. but still the, the what you end up with is this moment where like yes the aura is great there's that moment where Bryce Lynch the, the official hacker of Network 23 watches her work and he's like you're good and she just smiles and it's like that's all great right theora is a great character and yet also yeah you know yeah yeah also there's a a whole episode where the plot is that edison is mad that she went on a date with someone that's not him even yes. though they have no romantic <laughs> chemistry together yep. right <laughs> yeah that, I, and i mean that was a that was a template for an 80s 90s uh you know network tv episode they, they were was, on after moonlighting yeah. so they were kind of yeah. trying to tap into that i guess a little uh, on bit. the other hand Another thing I noticed is that Bryce is clearly autistic, right? Uh, and right, there's no, right, yeah. they don't really, and unlike Barkley, or there's probably numerous examples, but that's the one that comes to mind. They don't make fun of it. It's just, it's just kind of who he is, you know? No, they just make fun of him though, right? Like it, yeah. it's so weird, uh, you know, watching the eighties, I feel like Bill Gates saw himself in Bryce when he <laughs> was watching right, yeah. him. Sure, sure. And 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 was like you know one day guys i'm going to show him and he was he was in the process at that point he was already in the process of showing him um but like yeah like you've got to imagine that in uh, you know uh 35 minutes into the future bryce is like he has like revolutionized the television game and he's kind of running everything now mm-hmm. oh yeah back to back to theora for just a sec uh, something weird that I enjoy that doesn't fall into any of the sexist stuff, but that is just plain weird and is one of my favorite kinds of things like it throughout the show where it'll be a weird thing that is never touched on again is in the pilot 
when she brings uh, the not actually dead Edison Carter back to her place, he wakes up in a bed um, covered in a weird array of stuffed animals. Uh And it's it's huge bed, huge bed. Just with with just maybe the strangest arrangement of stuffed animals uh, um, <laughs> framing him th- that you could have. And the only way that it's commented on is just kind of a, a little a look as he wakes up and and it's not commented on whatsoever. And, and we never see it again. Um, never mentioned just that. random weird stuff like that. One of one of my favorite things about the show. <laughs> also, that's Edison's house, even though oh, yeah. it's oh. supposed to be uh, Theora's house. But oh. later on, when you, when we go and we see Edison in his house, it's the same house. Oh, Weird. well, you're saying they reused the set and they just, they redressed it as her house or uh, something? Yes. 20 minutes into the future, everybody lives in the same apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, 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 they're all designed exactly there's, there's, the same. Yeah, right, yeah, Weird. there's only one There's design. one apartment, four people share it, everyone else is out on the streets. <laughs> yeah, and the car yes, is parked in Living the in a van the, that yeah. broadcasts as a Burning network. trash bins. Oh, the vans. There's so many good vans in this. So there's many the Body Banks van, there's the big time TV van, there's so many good vans. Uh, Monty, you and I have been on some podcasts where we've talked about cyberpunk movies and things like that, right? And this is... I mean, yes. this show, if it's got any big kind of fictional influence, it, it is it is cyberpunk as a genre. This is hackers and there's ice at one point they're trying to get through. And it's very neuromancer-like in some ways. Uh, Max Hedrum, our title character, although he's not in it as much as you would think if you haven't seen the show. He's sort of comic relief and occasionally a plot element. And he's kind of fun, but it's not really the point of the show. But it is. It is. It is very... Uh, it is very cyberpunky, and Monty, I was trying to think like Johnny Mnemonic, and like th- a lot of cyberpunk uh, film in this era was uh, unsuccessful, and Max Hedrum yeah. somehow oh, actually wow. manages yeah. to do it to do it right, and I, I I can't think of very many good examples of the cyberpunk genre in filmed media, but Max I think is the top. That is because, and here is my thesis for the show. All right, Max Hedrum is about television, but television is a metaphor for the internet, which oh, is impressive yes. as there wasn't mm-hmm. really much of an internet to be a metaphor for at 1986. Right. But like they've got AI, they've got they've got an episode about deep fakes. This they is do. from today's headlines. Yeah. And it's because it's all done in metaphor, that's why it works. It, yeah, deep because fakes. instead of being like hacking is typing, television is visual. Replace all the typing with television stuff. Hey, brilliant. It, it is. Um, you mentioned the deep fake thing. There is this question of like, who are the police and who do they work for the security systems episode? And like, what, right. what is that data and surveillance data and CCTV data used for? Uh, there's the concept of the blanks who are people who don't want their records uh, and their private information uh, used against them and used to track them. There are so many of these elements that are, are current today that are that are all explored and you're right it is through this lens that's kind of charming which is the idea like this world we haven't really described the world other than the the wastelands and the burning trash and the helicopters but this is a world where apparently there is no government other than tv networks and that you Mm -hmm. elect somebody to represent your tv network or your city is every network has a representative it's this weird dystopia where it's all about TV networks controlling everything and there are dozens of them and there are computer systems and security systems and all that. But it is a, we don't know really what happened to the world, but it is super messed up. And then in the midst of it, we have our main character, 
uh, Edison Carter, who is a crusading journalist with a camera that is a live satellite link, which is another example of them prefiguring the future of of media and news gathering that he is live, a one man band live uh, reporting his show. And that has come to pass, essentially. Like it is it's such a weird it's such a weird setting. And they ha- they have tackled they're tackling so many issues. But I love Monty, you saying that the, the TV network is kind of a metaphor for the Internet, which didn't exist yet. That's right, because the idea here is that it's an interconnected universe of TV and computers and everything talks to everything else. And that's what the world of Max Headroom is. So, so good. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. There's so much that's wonderfully kind of, uh, as you mentioned, kind of uh, prefigured. Uh, I mean, uh, fake news, vaporwave, uh, the way that uh, police dress. Uh, they they show regular police officers dressing like riot cops, which right. is right. how they dress I, now. I love the right. bat- <laughs> I love that the metro cops um, wear batting helmets with face ma- catcher face masks. That's their yes. uniform. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. It's also prefiguring like YouTube streamers and niche yes, broadcasters, sure. uh, Zoom calls. There's a wonderful Star Trek Zoom call with a few Star Trek future TNG cast members in it at one point. <laughs> uh, like there's like so much that's like weirdly prescient, even the smart plumbing where in the first episode, Theora is hacking through the plumbing, which for years I used to laugh about yes. uh, until now That's where the <laughs> they have wireless plumbing in big cities yeah. to help detect fatbergs. And uh, you could absolutely hack them if you <laughs> knew how to do that. So I mean, there's so many things that became true, even when they were kind of like stretching and coming up with ridiculous things that like, I mean, I, I keep returning to it as a source of like, wow, that, and that one too, and oh, and that too. And <laughs> Edison's coffee maker at one point makes an appearance, and it says, "No beans, no beans." And I thought that was just so great. It's like stupid, smart coffee maker. It's like you know, it's Alexa basically. Shut up. I mean, I mean, like part of the way into season one, uh, you know, his his identity is intentionally edited to reflect him being guilty of credit fraud, which is noted as the being worse crime. than murder. Oh no, it's worse than murder. Yeah, the greatest um, crime of all time, credit fraud. Uh, yeah, and the and I, the, that episode though, the brilliance of that is when everything is computerized. If somebody can change your record reality changes right that's what that episode is saying is that we've they rely so much on their computer records that if you change them it doesn't matter if you're innocent it doesn't which is a theme that comes up several times there's also this this show does repeat themes uh because there's also the episode where blank reg gets uh put Mm -hmm. on trial and it's a similar thing which is like well once the records have been altered the computer records you know, it, reality doesn't matter anymore. It's whatever's in the system is reality. This couldn't be a more thoroughly a 1987 Thatcher era British 
hard yes, sci-fi show sure. <laughs> than if they yeah. oh wait no they did make a they did make a reference they they used the name thatcher uh and and said something or another about someone named thatcher being out um i mean it, it, the 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 punk vibes of of uh of blank like reg, reg yeah. Um, oh yeah I, it's Old just punk. It, before there were <laughs> before there were old punks, he was an old right. punk. <laughs> it's the best exactly. lines. That man was born at fifty, by the way. Morgan Shepard, my favorite, one of my favorite character actors, and is so great in this. So yeah. I met him. He just muscles his way onto the show, doesn't he? Like, there's no. Yeah. Originally, Rick Ducommon and uh, Jerry Burns were going to be the regulars, and you can see them go. You no. guys step aside. More blank red. More blank red. <laughs> this guy we brought in from the UK version, just kind of like for window dressing, is so good. And so I, um, I met. So he passed away a few years ago. I met him at Comic Con, and he's he was in the autograph. It's the only Comic Con autograph I've ever gotten. And so he's got his stack of eight by tens. He says, "Which one do you want? You want the Star Trek? You want the Babylon Five? You want?" And I said. Oh, Max Headroom. And he's like, good man. He said, have you got the DVDs? They really did a good job with those. And, uh, and, and I have, and I have had for several years now on my wall in my office, I'm looking at it right now, eight by 10 blank reg signed by Morgan Shepard. I love blank reg oh, so much. And jealous. his ter- and his terrible, his terrible TV station that he runs from his band <laughs> yes. with, his, with, with Dominique, who he loves like a sister. Cause he was always into nuns. Uh, where, where it's like hour after hour, day after day, making tomorrow seem like yesterday. And he says, eh, that was crap. Now more of the same. And he's just right. playing music videos and he doesn't care. It's so good. Oh. I always say that. Next up, more of the same. Of the same. Nobody knows what it's from and I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I mean, he has the best lines in the show, frankly. Like, Absolutely. He's, he really does. Yeah. He really punk. does. And I, I mean, Whackets, Whackets in Whackets. season two, um, his, his, ab, his just, his defeat at his audience continuing to want to watch this stupid game show and not Sex Pistols videos. Right. He plays that so well. I mean, he really, it is, it is, it, I mean, it's almost like he's not acting. It's like Morgan Shepard is just really disappointed that people don't want to watch the Sex Pistols. And that yeah. episode's made even better by the also not really acting that much, Bill Maher playing a terrible salesman doing yes. horrible right. things. <laughs> yep. Who would have thought I, think Bill, I think Bill Maher was just accidentally on that set and he... They just yeah. said, yeah, well, stick around. He, was hanging that was, around. he just came with that the was, set dressing. That was the era where, you know, they were like, all the comedians' agents were like trying to get them cast in things as actors. And Bill Maher did this. And they're like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. Uh, go back to, <laughs> maybe go back to comedy. I don't know. The, um, the, the, uh, some other things that I wanted to mention, like, well, we should talk, before I get to my little bullet list here, we should talk about Max Headroom, the, mm. the character, because, um, it, you know, Max Headroom really has gotten flattened to being one of those things that's like oh it's so 80s oh my god it's it's totally 80s right and it's it's strange because in this show he is tactically deployed they don't i think overuse or misuse max i mean he's got his little bits uh also again how did this get on the air he's got his bits at the end where he makes fun of commercials right before the commercial yes. Commercial, right absolutely That's beautiful amazing but that he is you know he is a pure filler he is an ai clone of edison carter but he's kind of like a, a an agent of chaos and he is used as a MacGuffin and as a plot point and as a magic key that unlocks things and all those things but he's also just um fun and he pops up in a world where it's illegal to have <laughs> illegal to have an on off switch on your television they must always remain on which is just so 
great because they have cameras and they look at you, but it doesn't matter. They have to remain on. Max just got, uh, it's a free floating agent of chaos. He pops onto network 23 and comments on the shows, which is great. He's like a pop up video, essentially. Um, it just if anybody has thoughts about like how Max is used, because I think for the title character of the show and this iconic piece of 80s culture, I am always amazed at the restraint they show. It's not about Max Headroom, right? It's about Edison and yeah. Fiora and Murray and Mr. Cheviot in the boardroom. But it is. It, and then Max is just around. He's just like a mascot almost. Watching it this time, I, I had a thought that he is kind of like some of these latter day Star Wars droids that are absolute chaos machines, but he's not restricted by having a body. Uh, and he is he is the the character that everybody, um, you know, really their their uh, they uh, their their fandom is centered around, despite the fact that they're ostensibly a bunch of people having, you know, uh, uh, you know, a big, important plot happening. Um, this is just the uh, the. S- uh, s- malevolent enough droid causing a little bit of havoc here and there and just having fun yeah. um, and occasionally being very centered and, you know, taken over by this or that or or that kind of thing. It's like puckish. Um, He's just there to like, yeah. yeah, it's like a Shakespearean like comedy bit. Like he appears and does stuff. And yeah. He's, sometimes he's important. He's also the first reaction video, but actually, unlike most reaction videos, I enjoy watching what he has to say. <laughs> I don't think he reminds me much of Edison Carter. They keep saying he's based on Edison Carter's personality. Is mm. he? Because Edison Carter is at one point described as acerbic, which is the perfect word for Matt Brewer's vibe. Yeah. Mm. And Max Headroom, I would describe as a lunatic <laughs> and a, t- a TV personality. I, yes. I read it. I think the show tries to make it that basically he's got access to all of Edison's memories, but yes, he yeah, is a lunatic. They keep saying it's his, they keep saying it's his personality. They yeah, say that over and over again. Well, what? And Monty, Monty, there's, there's that one moment in one episode where somebody says, Oh, you look a lot like Max Hedroom. And in that one moment, Edison's response is the most Max Hedroom like he is in the entire right. show. So I think I, it's yeah, kind I of brilliant, agree. right? Because you wouldn't want Edison Carter and Max Headroom to be the same, right? Even though they're played no. by Matt Frewer, they're played by the same guy. Um, by the way, for those who are wondering, um, how do you make Max Headroom in 1987? And the answer is you put a lot of like styrofoam and makeup and stuff onto Matt Frewer and put him in a green screen box. And then you do some video editing and then you claim he's the first computer generated. But it's literally <laughs> just massaging the uh, poor Matt Frewer um, I remember when Max was on David Letterman's show and it was very clear at one point that Matt Frewer was, you know, taped up behind the scenes uh, <laughs> and then appearing on a TV screen on the on the set. Um, now, uh, there, uh, last report, and I don't know, a lot of things have changed fast in the TV industry, but at last report, the person who created Halt and Catch Fire, the TV series, was working on a Max Headroom reboot on AMC. And the thought I had, and that Matt Frewer was going to be involved. And the thought I had was, well, the beauty of it is you could computer generate Max Headroom today from right. Matt Frewer. <laughs> right. And he wouldn't have to put on the styrofoam. Yeah, he, he's a VTuber. Yeah. The one the one thing I, I kind of realized with Max Headroom was I felt like maybe the writers had ideas that they would use that, that Max would be a more central character in the beginning of the series. Hmm. And as the series evolved, they realized that the stories that they wanted to tell didn't necessarily need Max in them. 
Right. And 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 it was taking too much energy to try and figure out how Max could be the central uh, MacGuffin for each particular episode to, to allow them to tell whatever story they decided that they, you know, they wanted to tell. And do, they just stopped doing that. Right. And they just let him be an agent of chaos. Do I dare to suggest that perhaps Max Hedrum was the thing that got the show made, but the producers actually uh-huh. wanted to do a dystopian <laughs> social satire? That late series episode where network censors are the oh, yeah. big bad uh, was very much a part Amazing. of what making that show was like. Amazing. Um, because yeah. the network censor, like they were, they were running so fast and loose, just slapping everything together and getting it done. Network standards and practices couldn't clear anything until it was already, you know, up on the boards. And that was something that they started to run into uh, toward the end of that run. And I mean, yeah, making the subtext text in that respect um, was just uh, delightful. On that note, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, male skin, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, uh, this show does this weird thing where um, they sneak in some profanity. Uh, there's some sexy mannequins engaged in some interesting <laughs> behavior in one scene. Um, so many risque jokes. Um, and then um, when it comes to showing any amount of skin on the show, it's always Matt Frewer. It's never anyone else and uh, there, there's something about this show where it's like we really want to kind of try to push all these different tv standards in ways that are not how you're going to expect these standards to be pushed uh and i really appreciate that scene especially where you know you think you're going to get the blanket thrown off of edison and you realize that he's wearing boxers underneath uh and there's this like actual moment of like is, are they going to actually just show Naked Matt Frewer on the bed. <laughs> they might. They might. Hold I on. mean, that was season three. That was uh, that was actually yeah for sweeps for season three. But they uh, for sure for it. sure. Um, you know, we've kind of danced around it, and and you talked about it a, a little before. But this show was weird, right? Duh. But right. But but Bear. but the the I'll weirdest right the weirdest part about this show is that it wasn't episodic in a way that other shows were episodic where like you know the things would happen we laugh we fade to black and we reset to one for the next episode this this show would end and like at the end of that episode there would be stakes right there were things that mattered that happened in the in that particular episode and then you reset to zero or you reset to three or you reset to like like yeah. sometimes it carried over, but most of the time it didn't. And then like you would, there were things that happened, especially today, right? Watching it now when you're binging it, when everything is fresh, right? Like I know yeah. what just happened because I just watched it five minutes ago, not a week ago. Like you're expecting someone to talk about the thing that happened. Cause there were like traumatic episodes in mm-hmm. this, in this show and you're expecting that when you come back to the next episode, someone's going to be talking about it. And they act like it it never even yeah. happened. Right. No, every it's, episode is like a little movie in its own little universe. I, I was struck by that, too. I, I don't know a lot about the, the history of the production here, but it strikes me is that they... Um, that the first... First off, I, I haven't compacted this all into one big blob. Um, the first season seems much more 
kind of considered in some ways. And the second season seems like a mess, which I think is probably a function of them getting a surprise renewal because mostly on the back of being after moonlighting and getting pretty good ratings because the turnaround from being a mid season replacement to having episodes in, in September, I would imagine that that order happened and they were not ready because season two scripts, at least at the, especially at the start, there's a lot of duplication. We were talking about this before we got started. There are a lot of things in Max Headroom that happened two or three times. There's an old friend of Edison. There's technology that's used. I mean, let's count them down. They enter your dreams. They read your dreams. They control your mind. They addict you in some way. Like every time, yeah. every time the, uh, the what is it? The Dream Thieves episode. I watch that. I'm like, oh, this is the one where Edison has the gets addicted to being in like the car with Joan Severance, and it's like, no, that's Neurostim. That's two more episodes yep. later. Like, okay, <laughs> but, they, but they're like the same thing. The literally the same thing happens in both of those. So there's two episodes that address schools and education. There's two that address women's yeah. health. There's two that address how the the politics of the world work. Weird there's future these, religions like, in a couple different episodes too. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and there's actually kind of two shows happening, really, because there is the weird will they won't they show happening in Network 23 that is isolated away from the rest of the world of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and they're having this kind of like moonlighting style show happening in a dystopia. And you're like, what is what? happening here? <laughs> Why are they they're playing breaker ball? And then wait, wait, now they're in the fringes and it's what? <laughs> yeah. I have a theory on why the second season is less tight. And I will sum it up with two words. Sports night. I will now explain those two mm. words. OK. Mm. Um, first season. Good. Not good ratings, but we'll give you a renewal. We weren't expecting a renewal. Quick, reuse scripts. Yes. Oh, God. Now they hate us. Quick, start doing episodes about censors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that, I mean, it's it's pretty clear looking at season two that they, that they were kind of caught. They, it feels at least like they were kind of caught flat-footed and they, because they, they, they do not go to strength in season two. It's more, it feels a little more regressed and diffuse than it did. And plus they're like, let's bring back all our characters from season one. So it's like Jerry Burns and Rick Dukeman, come on back. Charlie Rocket. Yeah, we'll do, Charlie, we'll do an arc Charlie, with you. We haven't, we haven't seen back. you since the pilot. Why don't we bring you yeah. back and name an episode after your character nobody remembers at this yeah. point? <laughs> Here's a guy who's a recurring villain or something. I think he's a, he's in there like three times. Question mark. Yeah, Simon Peller. <laughs> he came back. Oh, he lost the election this time. Well, remember that episode from last? You don't. Okay. Well, you, I, when I it's didn't on remember DVD, his name, be great. but he looks he looks kind of familiar. I guess. I so, something I'll say to to defend the writers a little bit is that um, opening that second season with the you know the uh, the young powerful minds unbound sort of education thing they're telling a different education thing than what they do later in the season and what i feel like probably happened was the the uh monetizing and and completely commercializing access to education was something that they 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 went we want to put this in this episode too uh you know what we've got a full 45 minutes you know what i think we can we can paste that together with a couple of other little things and get another episode out of it. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's figure this out. Um, It's like none of it's unwatchable, but you really can, as you say, you can see the seams and you can see where they went. 
mm, we had too we, we had too much roast uh, for dinner. Let's save some as leftovers, and it'll taste just fine tomorrow. Right, and it's different if it's on weekly, and maybe five weeks later you don't really remember what you saw before. But when you're when you're mm-hmm. you know binging it, essentially, you're like, oh, it, this is sort of like that other episode that I saw two episodes ago, and and it is a little bit. But I yeah, that was in watching it back, I thought they they got surprised. Maybe some of those early episodes or episodes feel actually like they might have even been scripts that they commissioned for season one and didn't use and so they're like well we'll just uh, you know that academy episode is sort of set up in the last episode of season one but um you know but it's all it's all interesting and good and weird and and like i i think even a bad episode and i i don't think any episode of max headroom is particularly bad there's always something interesting to look at even the ones that are a little more pat and a little more like an 80s drama are um you know again it's this is a show where like if if so if you're bored for a minute, just pay attention to what's on in the background, because one of my favorite recurring bits in all 14 episodes is what is on television. Now, the show is about Edison Carter being on television with his the Edison Carter show. And you're like, what I want to know is what happened in apartment 12B. And we're going in there and we're going to solve this and we're going to have somebody live and they're going to and they're going to be revealed as being bad live on TV. And it's great. But when. Edison's not on the air. Pay attention to what is on television because it's bananas. It's like animals and very weird game shows and extremely and, and something called Lumpy's Proletariat at one point. <laughs> that's the best one. Oh yeah, that's Lumpy's my favorite. Poodles on parade, but but Amazing. look, none of them hold a candle uh, hold a candle to Porky's Landing. Porky's Landing, the true drama of our time. <laughs> very very popular. The and thing they, I, they shot like fifteen seconds for and just aired that fifteen seconds over and over through the over entire over episode. Over. You mean? <laughs> yep, that's yes. right. That's right. That's so, drama. It's so good because it's again, it's a TV show saying what's on TV is terrible, right? Hello, you're watching TV. What's on TV is terrible. And let me tell you, over the course of the the 30 years since the show has been on, um, they're not wrong. <laughs> like oh, they're it's sort more of, right than ever. Yeah, I mean that the 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 belly dancer with the pigs that I think that's on the Discovery Channel now. Like I think it's all happened. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. When they brought Grossberg back in season two and made and and were trying to fashion a regular recurring big bad villain for them to you know work in opposition to, the thing that I enjoy most about it isn't how well it works, but how uh, beautifully typical of nineteen eighties nineteen nineties ineffectual big bad villain um, <laughs> recurring thing that it is. So like even the most pat thing that they did in the text of the show it's still it's still enjoyable enough and it it gets ju- you know not even to the edge of wearing out its welcome um but you know they 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 know that it's tired they know that it's pat they they know that um you know belaboring it too too much is is a waste of time um but you know hey i'm glad they gave charlie rocket some extra work yeah <laughs> i mean the text part of this is interesting cuz like i often you know think about it not necessarily as a show with continuity or that we're necessarily supposed to follow the story from episode one to episode 14, because so much of it is kind of like film noir. It's like, let's put this 
mode on TV and then tell a story in this mode. Hmm. And uh, th- and I think that allows them to like break the fourth wall. It allows them to have all these meta references. It allows them to kind of like take the show into s- different storytelling places, uh, mostly because they're not necessarily worried about, okay, what was the name of the helicopter pilot in the previous episode? We got to make sure that they match up. Uh, gun it, Martinez, gun it. Come on. Yeah, there we go, Martinez. That's what it was. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I think that they're much less worried about that kind of stuff because to them it's like, well, th- we want to have like this fast paced news environment and tell a story in that mode. I love the fact that there's an episode where um, the signal, there, there are two episodes, sorry, again, everything comes in twos. <laughs> there are two episodes where the, the network signal is taken over by someone else. And, the, and, and one of them is the Academy where they're zipping, but there's also in the, um, in the Blanks episode, the Blanks take over the signal of Network 23. This is amazing because, of course, also famously, a guy wearing a Max Headroom mask took over uh, a, a PBS station in Chicago, Chicago uh, during yeah. Doctor Who. No, no, it was WGN. WGN, yeah. Oh, was it, was it, WGN. it was WGN? <laughs> yeah. WGN, was it on during yeah, it was... Doctor Who? I thought it was on during Doctor Who, or did they do that too? Warren Mike. Yeah, know. WGN. I don't... Oh, wait, no, I, don't I, know, I, I think it, it was the WGN incident uh, 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 came before the PBS. Uh, interrupting PBS. Because there were there two. Were two. Uh, there were oh, two. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, everything. There's two. Yeah. There's, it's just like Max Hedrum. So, anyway, uh, I, love, I love that there are two plots in which there's signal jacking happening. On Max Headroom. Because there's two Edison Carters, and, Edison and Max. Oh, it and, all mm, works. And then a guy you in a guys, Max Headroom. We're, we're figuring it all out. It's all connected. Duality. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway, I, lo- I just love that, that, that re- reality and life are all... Uh, all doubled up there. Art imitates um, life. I, can, can, I, yeah. I, I, want, I wanted to say something about something I really didn't love and then I really super didn't love rewatching it, which was all the Oriental racism. Yeah. Oh, um, man. Well, uh, it's the 80s. You know, I, hey, I look, I loved seeing Michael Paul Chan getting that work early yeah. in his career. I loved seeing Sab Shimono taking over the ZigZag uh, chairman role in season two season because two, yeah. there's only there's only so long that that, uh, that an actor can put up with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there was a whole episode that like it checked off so many of the boxes of stuff that I hate. Yep. Especially from this era uh, with, you know, the, the, um, the, the specific sound of like background music that apparently mm-hmm. we Asian people just have in the <laughs> yeah. background everywhere in we go. Background. Yeah. Um, commenting about how network 23 is honorable. Oh, can like mm. I, I, yeah. I, uh, I had, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten because it'd been so long since I had heard Asian people on, on a show talking about things being honorable. Um, that said, Boy, it could have been worse, um, but it isn't great. Well, it's like, like I said about the the treatment of Theora and other women on the show is like on one level in the era, it's like they did some cool stuff with Zigzag that I that I really enjoy that it they're so they're so weird. And of course, this is also the era where the Japanese and the Germans are going to take over the world. Right. This is the 80s. The American mindset is, oh, we lost it. Japan and Germany are ascendant in the future. Just like Blade Runner is like that, too. It's this it's this idea. And so parts of what they do with Zigzag, I'm like, well, that's really interesting. Right. 
But then they're like, let's do an episode where we really put Zigzag at the front. And I watched that episode and I'm like, oh no. Like, <laughs> oh, oh no, like I could explain it away before, but yeah. now I just can't. It's just. Yeah, brace brace oh, for Orientalism. No. And it just, yeah. it, I, it, yeah. well, it, like every every point where I was like, oh, they're done. No, they're not done. Nope. 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 Here comes another. Yeah. And here we go. Lady dressed in a kimono, are serving cake. All right. Uh-huh. Well. Yeah, I mean- <laughs> It's unfortunate, too, because in the background cast for the show, in roles that on other ABC shows would just be all white, uh, there is a lot of diversity in some of these smaller parts on Max Headroom. And so the show does this thing again where it undercuts any kind of progressiveness that might have existed by doing that with a very ham-fisted, terrible episode. (laughs) So, Well, um, hey, guys, Blink is beautiful. Thank uh, you. Yeah, so I was going to say, I, I was gonna say uh, that, that that line makes me cry. I was, I, I was so just bad. waiting. I was just waiting. But yeah. that episode is great. Like right. I, I, I love that. I think that episode and the war episode, which is the one right before it with the helicopter and the explosions, yes. uh, are the two most interesting episodes in some ways. The blank episode is the highest level of of television satire right this is where you get the t we learn the tvs are always on there's that line about you smother technology and it rebels which is really great there's that moment in the boardroom where all the tv networks are off air and one of the people in the boardroom says we need to get some emergency video players out there real humanitarian <laughs> uh the idea and the I mean, idea those that, tv years are given to the, the needy you know yeah. so uh, the, the play yeah without television the city would become ungovernable is a right. line said yep. in that episode it's so amazing there's also a man with a frog named god um, that sounds familiar and then that's the one with the, the deep fake in the end the, the our heroes create a deep fake right. in order to make a politician say what they want an, an elected politician say what they want in order to force yeah, him to um, do what and th- this and, and money i'll let you go in just a second because I, one of the things that's fascinating about that episode is that episode is sort of like we're kind of on the blank side and then they have to be like uh but our heroes are are good too and there's literally a moment where edison carter says something like you, you you're right but you're doing it the wrong way and i'm right. like <laughs> 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 because you know establishment has to win in the end money go ahead is edison carter a good journalist <laughs> I, I, that's exactly what i was going to say no. there's so much you know i i, I don't so know much, if, um, i don't know if we have an answer i think i think the whole show is that with a question mark at the end of it because because there's they half the time he's, he is a shill for the network, which kind of bugged me. I'm like, well, they'll just make him go do stuff or he just kind of doesn't on his own willingly. And half the time they will definitely bend the rules and not a right lie. But I mean, I was watching this going, I would get fired numerous times <laughs> this episode for this. <laughs> and rightly yeah, so. And the- he, he outright lies also. Yeah, right? like there yeah, was yeah. the first there- season. Half of his stories are about the network he's on. I mean, if this were to reboot, you know, years down the line, Edison Carter would obviously be the network chairman. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah it it is. Point. He's you know, he it's playing on our our views of what a crusading newsman should be. Right. He's like a he's like, I don't know, Mike Wallace with a sat cam is kind of what what he's supposed to <laughs> yeah, be. Kinda. But the show also knows that he's not quite that. Right. And, and, and again, there are those lines uh, by the way, the Simon Peller line, the the politician who says the appearance of dispute is essential to the network's democracy. <laughs> and he's like, I don't like that word appearance, right? I'm supposed to be. A... But there's also that line where he's like, since when has the news been entertainment? And Murray's response <laughs> is since it was invented, right? Like, so the show. 
show, again, the show knows, but also the premise of the show is that these are the, our main characters are the people essentially in power for the network that is kind of running the city, mm, the yeah. unnamed city that's kind of Los Angeles, but kind of not. Um, and, and it is it, so like in the blanks episode, it really feels that way where it's sort of like the show is more radical than the characters are allowed to be. So they have to do some hand waving to be like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I know we just said the blanks are good, but not quite good in the right way. So our heroes are okay. <laughs> and it's just, it's a fascinating line that it's, the creators of the show have to walk to be on ABC in primetime. Again, Jason, sci-fi shows weren't on, on network TV. They weren't on network TV at all. So how did this get on? It's oh. so important to color within the lines, Jason, you know, <laughs> yeah. stray outside the lines for entertainment purposes briefly, but get back inside those lines. On the script, a few notes about the, about the, I mean, the war episode, which I mentioned is the explosions of the helicopters. That is also the episode where literally terrorism is packaged as entertainment. And the <laughs> idea is that we're going to give you an exclusive on our interviews and like, I, it, I find that episode unsettling because I feel like there are parts of it. I'm like, Oh no, they're probably right about this too. And, and, and we'll see that in the next 20 years, right? Like the yeah. start, stuff that hasn't happened yet, but will probably happen. I have a quote from that episode, which is we're the first terrorists to use modern marketing theory. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. You got me. Yeah. Hey, right? Hey guys, what about insurrection, but crystal Pepsi? It looks so good, though. I mean, it's not just that the they spent money on the on wherever they shot this wasteland, uh, and the LA, and, surprisingly, yeah, I know. But yeah. they, I mean, they, like, we're in LA. They found like the the fallen apart mm -hmm. buildings, and then it's all again in an era where this stuff didn't really happen. Like you know, traffic came out a decade and a half later, and suddenly everything in Mexico was going to be yellow for all time because they're like, we're going to color grade everything. It's all going to be... But but Max Headroom, like that war episode and several of their other episodes, it's got crazy color grading and and they I think they added grain to the shots. Everything looks weird and bleached and alien. Uh, and, and then you're in ruins with this helicopter. It, it is so evocative for a network TV show in the mid eighties. It's just, it's kind of amazing. I have to give credit to the behind the scenes tech people. Cause you don't see one flickering television at all. And there's so many televisions and they all have to be synced to film. Right. And they're definitely shooting at 24 frames a second. So, and TV, yeah. it was not that. And that was a nightmare to do back then. So I was yeah, pretty impressed that I can't think of one episode where there's a flickering TV. They're everywhere. Every time. Every time they have a wall of TVs and Max Headroom is like popping up on one and talks to somebody and they talk back, then he goes away and talks, pops up another one. I think, first of all, those are all CRT TVs. So mm -hmm. yeah, they all yeah. stick like three feet back. And second, it must have been so much work to have Matt Brewer shoot all of this Max stuff in conversation with nobody and then mm -hmm. have it show up on the screen at exactly the right time. And do it in the right sequence so they could do, because a lot of this is playback. You can tell there are a few scenes where you can see that they shot like Fiora watching her screen before they shot Max. And and you can see it because he isn't quite matted right. They tried to mat him in, but he's not quite matted right. But most of the time it is, I think, perfect. And it, it suggests that they figured out how to shoot, you know, shoot this stuff in advance 
to put it on the screen so that people could react to it and it's actually on the screen. And yeah, well they're doing the, that. They're doing that for all of the all of the characters I think cuz you know, cuz all of those video phone shots are are the same oh, thing. Yeah, the view phone. You know? Yeah. Which again feels a lot less alien now than yes. it did in the, yeah, in the 1980s. Exactly. Although um, they all have cords with the little curled right. cables, which is so adorable. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, it's like an old telephone, so but also a video phone. It's so good. I mean, uh, Matt Furrer really, I mean, he earned his salary on this thing oh. playing both of those parts because on the one hand, he is the lead character in all of the live action non-playback bits. And then he also had additional days where he just got made up as Max Headroom and was mm-hmm. shooting the reverse of all of this stuff and then probably had to go back and reshoot some bits of it that yeah. didn't necessarily work just right but there's only so much of that that you can actually do right they probably ran out of yeah. time and they just ran ran with uh whatever shot they had before because that definitely happened in yeah. a bunch of those oh yeah there's a bunch <laughs> of him just going <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right well yeah i can see and they do that in advance and, like, so they've got reaction stuff that they can shots play back. yeah exactly exactly when but yeah that the, they had to load tapes to run all of that stuff all it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't anything like, you know, pushing a couple of buttons on a MacBook. No, amazing. Um, I, I think, like, people really forget just how much handwork goes into stuff uh, before a certain year. Oh, yeah. and the animation, too. Like, for all the yeah. computer screens, like, oh, which yeah. there's steadily less of as the time goes on. Right, and, and they reuse stuff. a bunch of stuff. But, yeah, the, vec- yeah. the vector style that was established in the UK mm-hmm. TV movie, which they kept, which is which I, I think has its antecedent in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV series. But it, it looks great, and it is it feels... Um, like very specific to Max Headroom. It feels it's it's they're not trying to be super high tech. It's wireframes and all that, but it allows them to do some of that animation. There is some stuff later. The stuff where Max is like a in a ball that's going through a bunch of circles and lines, where it's like you know, <laughs> cyberpunk. How do you explain? what it's like to hack like i'm amazed at how dramatic they make hacking into a system because jason we all, jason jason it's a series of tubes yeah well we <laughs> all know now we they didn't yet know that many movies would try it and realize that watching people hack into anything is boring on a visual medium uh but they made it they make it work pretty well it is astonishing how much of the show is people talking to each other on screens and a shot of somebody with uh, their face illuminated by a television monitor for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it just, it, I mean, like, certainly there wasn't other shows that were doing things like that at that time. And and I think that, like, you know, you guys are talking about, like, the, the getting these things pieced together where they're, like, pumping video into one room so they can have these conversations with old tapes that they've made of, essentially, of of max and it's like i think it speaks to the the kind of punk spirit of making the show like everything is do it yourself they're they're throwing together things probably uh, 20 minutes before they shoot the scene uh not to pinch a, a time unit right <laughs> uh, but uh, i mean I, like, there's so much of it that is like just slapped together in the same kind of punk rock style that it makes total sense that almost every episode has background punks everywhere. Like it's just, it feels like in order to be this kind of hands-on DIY, you, I think you got to have a little bit of Ramones playing while you're while you're making the show. Hmm. Um, one of my favorite things, talking about things this prefigures. We mentioned AI um, mm. as the chatbots have been going on, and there's also been stories about how they're going to be able to do a chat bot that like is based on the entire message and email history of people, you know, and then they die and they're going to be able to replicate it, which was by the way, also a black mirror episode, but I'll just point (laughs) out that in not one of my favorite episodes, which is the one where 
um, Edison's old girlfriend, Vanna, Vanna, love it, Smith, who's the leader of the View Age Church, right? Right. Um, but they are promising people that they're gonna they're gonna scan and make these AI constructs like Max Headroom, basically, of their loved ones, so they can bring them back and they'll never die. And I love it so much. And I think about it when I think about Chat GPT and things like that, because. Of course, the punchline is there's that one old man and anything you say to him, all he says is, yes, it's wonderful, it's wonderful isn't, it? isn't it? It's I love it so much. It? And like, and they talk about AI chatbots now and I'm like, Max Hedrum did it. You know what you're asking for. You know what you're going to uh, get. You're going to get, yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? Over and Chat over GPT-3, yes, it's wonderful, it's isn't wonderful, it? It's wonderful, Jason, it? we, we learned something earlier in the show, though, about how to defeat Chat GPT and the like. All we need to do is have Max Headroom seduce them. Seduce them. And they will all just so, submit to what we actually want. Yes. So that's okay. So that's what a place where Max actually gets used in the story. And I I think that's those scenes are hilarious. And yet simultaneously I'm like, of course it's a girl computer. And of course she giggles because <laughs> he's course, talking her. Of course of course they anybody can turn her off, but only Max can turn, can turn, her, turn her, on. her on. Yeah. Oh dear. It, but it, I did, I, it did make me laugh, though. But I'm also like, this is not right. <laughs> this is not, but, not. But then when you think about it, uh, when you think about it, yeah. the, the way that it's a little bit more okay for me is I go, a bunch of sexist men created both of these things. Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense. It makes sense that, that the, the sexist tropes baked into what these sexist men uh, put into them uh, end up uh, being, being the way to uh, confound it. Yeah. On the subject of chat botulism, uh, I mean, we certainly are in this scenario now where we're worried about this writer's strike and AI potentially vying for our entertainment dollar. And every time I hear these news stories about it, I I, I just sit there thinking like, we already had this problem in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, it seems to be so much so prescient in so many different ways that like uh, even our most current news story is soaked in hedromisms. Mm. That's that's the thing I keep coming back to, and I'm 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 enjoying this conversation because I've been telling people for all this time is like, trust me, I know you think of Max Headroom as this old thing from the '80s. It could not be more current, even now. It is so, uh, it is of its time, but it is also so prescient about technology. It's still twenty minutes into the no, future. It's, it's, it's still, not twenty minutes. It's kind of like seven minutes it, in the future. Kind of like now. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we've arrived 20 minutes in the future. Right. Jason, you're telling me that a show that regularly shows unchecked greed of capitalist CEOs <laughs> trying to conglomerate all kinds of different businesses into one bizarre chimera of a mess is, is bad for society? How could that apply to anything that's going on right now? Tune in on the um, next Lumpy's Proletariat. Zing. <laughs> Monty, <laughs> was this your first time watching Max Headroom or did you watch it when it was on? I watched, I'm pretty sure, a couple of episodes when it was on, but I did not keep up with it. So I knew I liked it. I had the bootleg DVDs that you could get at Comic-Cons for a while before it was available. And then I got the DVDs when they were available. And then I finally watched it on streaming. Ah, like last month. <laughs> yeah. So you can get the you can get the DVDs. You can also buy it. Yeah. You can buy it on like a la carte on Amazon and other places like that. You can get the episodes now. So there are ways to watch it, which is one of the reasons I haven't I didn't do an episode about Max Headroom for so long is that 
Um, it was hard to get it. I, I for years, what it's, I it's had... It's like when Syracuse made you watch a million episodes of Ghost in the Shell or whatever it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is. I, I um, for for years, what I had were DVDs that I burned from my VHS tapes oh, that I wow. recorded. Um, with it, It's better with the ads in it, honestly, because <laughs> the ads from yes. the 80s are, are mind-blowing. Robo, robot is Tobor spelled backward. I, in the same breath, I was going to say everybody should get. I, I mentioned the Shout Factory yes. special edition DVD, which you can still get. Um, mm-hmm. the, the interviews, like there's an hour long, you know how the show, how the show, how the franchise got made. Interviews with the cast, m- the primary cast minus Matt Frewer, uh, a standalone interview with um, with with Morgan Shepard and uh, and Ms. Tomei, his uh, his his counterpart. Uh, it, it's it's one of my favorite Shout Factory special editions that they've done because every single one of those supplemental pieces adds something uh, of, of dimensionality to the show that I, I was completely unaware of mm. as many things that I had read online about it and everything. Yeah. And Morgan Shepard loved it too. I can tell you that because he, he, he was, went out, he was, he was like, they did, he, they did a great job with that DVD set and they did. It's really good. Here's my, uh, my bona fides. I once in the nineties owned a Japanese laser disc of two episodes oh. Oh. that my dad Whoa. picked up for me when he went to Japan on a business trip at like 89 That's or so. Wild. So he went all over Tokyo to find this damn thing for me oh, and man. I've since lost it. Oh. But I did have a laser disc with Japanese writing. It was great. And Max looking insane on the front of it. Warren, I he's not it. mad. He's just disappointed. Yeah, yes. That's for this and many other reasons. So, so Monty, I thought you would like it, but I'm glad to hear that you, that you really enjoyed it watching it now back in. in yeah. In I like so much about it. Like the opening credits, it looks like a CGI city, but it's really just plexiglass buildings. I love that. Uh-huh. Like I love, like you said, the church of the view age, because everything is about television. These guys say <laughs> telly before words, the way people in, 1950s science fiction movies say moon or space. They have tele- <laughs> the tele elections are coming. Yes. And the the way that late 90s uh, politicians would put the word cyber in front of everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everything is tele and I love it. It, it is very much like, hey, uh, you think the television is all there is? Oh, imagine what that would be like. And then it would be this horrible wasteland. Yeah. It would be the way we are now, except without people doing bootleg television, we have Twitch, which is exactly mm. the same thing. Yep. Um, I also wanted to shout out one thing really quick. It's not relevant to anything except the incomparable. Uh, Bryce, <laughs> at one point, says he doesn't want to go on a mission because he wants to complete his collection of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just wanted to briefly mention that Skeletor is his enemy. It's yes, go. absolutely uh, true. Obviously, obviously, also, on, only a dedicated collector uh, would have would have their Masters of the Universe related, uh, um, uh, you know, politics sorted I, out that way. I, I want to mention, by the way, the um, the politics of the White Brigade, the first terrorist organization to use modern marketing techni- techniques, as mentioned earlier. It is, for the record, neo radicalistic anarcho syndicalism. <laughs> oh. oh, of course. Yeah, a yeah. phrase yeah. used. I, I was I was confused about it, 
But now that you say that, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, more than once. Anarcho-syndicalism. I've heard of that. It's in Bobby yes. Yeah. Well, this is the neo-radicalistic kind of anarcho-syndicalism uh, uh, that is very important. Big difference. Yes, big difference. Well, since we're talking about other media properties like Monty Python, um, I, I want to point out Morpheus's appearances in uh, the first six episodes, uh, or the uh, character they call Rick. Rick Shaw, um, who yeah. drives oh, a rickshaw yes, yeah. and is, is, <laughs> is basically Morpheus from The Matrix. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can absolutely see them having watched this on TV as kids going like, I have an idea for a character. <laughs> the, the Wachowski, yeah, the Wachowskis definitely were exposed to Max Headroom at a young age. Uh, I think there's no, uh, yeah, I had that same thought um, when I saw Rick Shaw. Um, again, one of those, is it clever? Uh, <laughs> character names where it's like, oh, well, he's a guy with a rickshaw. We'll just call him rickshaw. Well, yeah, I mean, and they, they named the one guy Ped Zing. Um, yes, exactly. Well, There's a lot of signs that have uh, named characters in this show somehow. Yeah. So, so yeah. Rick, though, yeah, he is, he, he looks, he, I mean, he looks so much like Morpheus in the Matrix uh, that it has to have been, you know, burned in the back of somebody's brain, uh, one of the Wachowskis. And, they, and then it became, uh, you know, the Morpheus we know. But like, yeah, he's totally there. It's like, wait a second. That happens sometimes, right? Where you look back to an ant- antecedent and you're like, wait, this is like, oh, this precedes it. Oh, right. So I think that that's there. He comes back too. He's like um, their consultant in the wasteland. He like, he's in a couple episodes. Rick is, is like knowing where. Yeah, he's magical. He's kind of like Edison's fixer in a way. In the fringes. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like Edison can walk among the fringes right. because he's, you know, like an old noir detective, but he still needs a guide when he gets into trouble. Right. Although re- really what happens is that Rick leads him to Blank Reg, at which point Blank Reg is on screen and right. everybody forgets about Rick. Yep. Yeah. Rick, Rick <laughs> yep. I, like Rick, Rick is one of those things that, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, th- there was a, a costumer in common between the productions or if knowing that Lawrence Fishburne is a giant nerd, uh, he said, can I look like this dude, Rick, from Max Headroom? And <laughs> the Wachowskis likely. went, yes, that's Could genius. Be. Yes, we're going to do that. Somebody, somebody somewhere saw it or had it lodged in their brain and it came back out again. Might not have yeah. even been conscious, but stuff like that happens. There's, you know, that's the, um, what it's, was it? I was uh, playing the, the video. Kind of theft. I was playing the video game uh, or the computer game Marathon right on the, on the Mac back in the day and realized that um, one of the aliens is literally just a character from the Micronauts comic book. <laughs> like, yes. And it's just like, whoever, whoever designed that alien, they read that comic book and they might not even have been thinking about it, but they totally read that comic book. And it's like, I love that. I love that because it means that something was bubbling in there and, and, and then it came out whether it was conscious or not. And, and, and Rick Shaw is like that. Yeah. In, in the infinity gauntlet miniseries, Alf is in the background of a panel just colored blue. <laughs> so it's a different character. Yeah. It's totally not the, not the same at all. Yeah. Um, what have we not mentioned? I mean, there's so much. We're not. This is just an overview. We're not going to go through all the episodes. There aren't that many of them. They're available. I hope, at the very least, that people who are listening to this who have not seen it or not seen it in some time, that you will be inspired to try it out because it is simultaneously, as we've said, very 80s and also very timeless and strange mm-hmm. in a in a in a, like a good way and and with foresight about where things are going and have gone. Um, but what have, what have we not talked about um, that any of you want to bring up before we wrap it up? I, one, one very minor, like dumb detail from the episode where Grossberg comes back is that as he's listing off the various members of the network, 23 people that he has grudges against, they all have given names except for Murray. 
<laughs> Murray Murray is just a one name guy. He's the Madonna of of bold <laughs> yep. uh, network producers, and I found that absolutely like cackle inducing hilarious uh, this time watching it through. He's just Murray. One of one of the most British things about it is in that episode where they introduce Rick Shaw, where he goes and his camera gets stolen and he goes, ah, bleep, that was my favorite blanket. <laughs> like, that's just not something you'd hear on an American show. You would hear it on a British show for sure. There's a whole running gag about blankets in that episode. Like, like it, it keeps coming back. Like Edison's obsessed with blankets. The um, Yeah, there's also, you could tell that the British people were involved, especially in the season one scripts because American actors say lots of things that Americans don't say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's some delightful, just like English phrasing (laughs) that happens and you're like, okay, I mean, it's fine. Right. But it's just very funny where you're like an English person wrote this and nobody told them to change it around for the Americans. So it's fine. I I found it interesting. The, um, the, the dream thieves episode, uh, they're talking about this movie palace and yeah, you're, you know, uh, a long time ago, people would all watch the same thing at the same time. And now it's people are watching the same thing at the same time, but then they're also watching something else alongside it, uh, on multiple screens. And you know, even though it wasn't a one-to-one thing, it was, it was something that made me go, Oh yeah, that's right. People will go, yeah, I'm watching a movie and also playing Diablo four and also listening to the new Beyonce album on Spotify. I want to give a shout out to the Church of the Subgenius reference that keeps happening over and over and over in that show with uh, Ben Cheviot and his wonderful pipe doing his best Bob Dobbs. Uh, I think that is uh, delightful. It, every time it pops up it, and, and they, he works for Network 23. So there's like more Subgenius references. It's it's uh, it's wonderful. George Coe as be, as Cheviot. Yeah. Yeah. I want to shout out uh, Jir Burns. Um who played Briggle, yeah. and uh, I loved him because I was an I was like a a sixty year old fourteen year old because my one of my favorite shows was <laughs> Dear John. Dear John, yeah, I knew you were gonna say Dear John. <laughs> yes. And he plays he plays the same character, and it's just because it's twenty minutes in the past. He's just he's just a swarmy guy, um, but in in the future he's a swarmy guy who collects he was like a, a you know a ne'er-do-well um but i love them in both in both roles yeah he and he and rick dukeman are uh like ne'er-do-wells in the fringes right yes yeah uh it's it's awesome like the, the first time we meet him he's he's collecting a a not quite dead edison carter mm-hmm. who, who he knows is still alive but they're gonna you know harvest him for parts anyway and he yep. knows who he is. It's yep. awesome. He doesn't care. And his van, right. one of the many vans again. Right. <laughs> Lots in the future. There are many beat up vans is what we've learned. I'll make one more comment about uh, the fringes and that uh, I just earlier before we recorded, I had to make a quick run to the store. And on the way, I had to drive past a really massive homeless camp, uh, which um, unfortunately we have these in almost every city now. Uh, and it just strikes me as very interesting as I've seen these develop over time in a lot of cities and that that's the fringes now. And, yeah. uh, again, we are uh, finding so many things uh, from the from this show coming horribly. True. You're only seven yeah. minutes from the future. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 actually watching the fringes. It's really hard not to think of it that way. Right. Um, yeah. And and for something like I was thinking about something like Blade Runner and, and some other kind of visions of the of the future ish stylish sci-fi visions from from the 80s and there's just i don't know there's something about the max headroom vision that like it it's feels closer to reality 
Enduring. Then, then a lot mm-hmm. of other visions from that same time, including the contrast between what's happening in the fringes and then the 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 rest of it, where they've got their big apartments with their enormous beds and all their stuffed animals and and you know all of that, like and these very comfortable things where the wealthy people are. It's very clear that that's you know that's part of the vision of Max Headroom. And you know, are they are they wrong? I. I don't know. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I want to. I want to. As as we're wrapping up, I want to shout out ABC, who was audacious enough to uh, to to produce this show for what amounted in in you know in the late eighties to half a season over two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like it, it shouldn't have been made. It couldn't have possibly made been made. It obviously would not be made by a network. This, you know, now nowadays it probably would be on, you know, it'd be a, a web series or something, you know, some series yeah, on or YouTube. Or on cable or, at the very right, least. Right, right exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as a penance for uh, producing this show, ABC went in the opposite direction and released Cop Rock. So, so, <laughs> so no, it's also an audacious, daring thing to try. Right. It, it, it and, is. And, and it might take another 667 episodes to get to Cop Rock, but we will. Well, here, here's what I was going to say is that ABC was willing to try lots of stuff. And while I do believe that Max Headroom, the series got made because some executive somewhere, it might have even been Bob Iger, saw the that Coke commercial <laughs> and said, oh, that's interesting. Let's do a show about that. And then they saw the show and they're like, what? What is this thing? But it gets great ratings because it was after the climactic episode of Moonlighting. And so they're like, I guess we can't get rid of it. Sure, renew it for 13 more. And they won't even let them make 13 more. I mean, uh, a, a show this prescient about corporate greed uh, was so dangerous that Disney had to buy the network 10 years later. So, so I mean, the other, the other thing I would we can't say let that happen again, the other thing I wanted to say about the daringness of ABC in this era is that although they, they got a bad rap for doing things like canceling Max Headroom, they would also, they did make Max Headroom. They did allow it to get on their yeah. air. And, and although we can talk about cop rock, I will also point out to a couple years later when they did twin peaks. Yeah. Mm. Uh, right which again is a show that you watch and you're like how is that how is that on tv (laughs) how how did they and the answer is well i kind of get it it starts out as a murder mystery and there's a little bit of soap opera and it seems like it's going to be a normal show and it gets good ratings so you bring it back and then you're like oh no (laughs) what what is this show that they made right it's a very similar kind of thing are you saying they didn't know what twin peaks was until the second season (laughs) no i'm saying you know i'm saying i'm not sure that they knew what Twin Peaks was after the second season. I, I'm saying that <laughs> yeah, the the, <laughs> the Twin Peaks Twin Peaks even more than Max Headroom had enough ratings that they're like, I guess we gotta bring it back, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I guess we gotta. And then and but they're like still not quite sure what it is that they exactly got. I don't know. They were they were very daring at a time when uh, shows like that didn't get on the air very many places. So credit Mac- to ABC for even making this happen. Max Headroom got canceled. Because they only got 12 million viewers. Uh, yeah, think <laughs> about that. Only 12 million viewers. <laughs> think about that. That's all. It's a bomb. Get it off the air. You know, yeah. I, you know I, 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 knew, I knew from the second episode when they went in on Missile Mike, I knew it was doomed. Missile I knew Mike. that they were never going to get the kind of broad audience, you know, going that incisive about social issues. Yeah. Anything else before we wrap it? 
I just want to know where they sourced that stuff. Because now you could just find it on YouTube. But in the 1980s, how in the hell did they find the whatever that is stuff is for Wackets, you know, or Missile well, Mike for they that said, Where did they, they find said, that stuff? They, well, they, they said in, in one of the special features that um, one of those things, they just went around the corner to a Chinese restaurant and got like a guy that worked there and spent like five five pounds on having him like do a zigzag promo oh, and okay. so they just shot like all, all right. like all of those things they as 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 cheap as they found ways to do things th- that would get a lot more airtime stuff that they knew they literally needed 10 seconds of they they found the uh cheapest easiest way to just like shoot it in a backyard or something yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like a couple of like westerns and a few other things, but for the most part, it is really weird junk TV. That, yep. like, like Moises is saying, it's it was knocked up so quickly that uh, you could, if you looked at it for very long, or if they showed more than what you see in the show, it, the seams would fall apart. The belly dancer with right. the pigs. It's just amazing. they bought that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody, yeah, somebody went to a belly dancing performance, uh, and they went, hey. That's five seconds of interstitial stuff, and we know that she has the costume, so we just need some pigs, and then that's we're good. That's the charm of the show. Just weird <laughs> stuff thrown at you for no reason. Like that's it's it's a uh, blank Reg's whole uh, promise, right? It's now more of the same. Right. <laughs> Whatever. <Yeah. laughs> um, all right. Well, Max Headroom. If you're interested, you can buy it on all the places where you can buy TV, like iTunes or Apple TV app or Amazon, you can get it there. You can absolutely get the Shout Factory DVDs if you want to go all in on it. It's a it's a great way to do it with a lot of great extras. Uh, there are ways to watch this, uh, and you sh- you should. That's it. You should. Uh, Indeed. Thank you for uh, all for spending twenty minutes in the future with me, Monty Ashley. Thanks for being here. Every cent was spent correctly. All right, fair enough. Moises Chuyon. Call back to the thing yeah. he says at the beginning. Yeah, I got, I got it. I, I, I think they did. It does feel in a few moments like they ran out of money. But boy, they like Monty. Would I trade in the explosions in the helicopter? I would not. I would not. They're, they had a second too, helicopter. Agreed. You guys know that, right? Yeah. They had the helicopter and yeah. another helicopter to shoot that. To helicopter. shoot the helicopter. Oh I, yeah. Again, 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 that cost a lot. A of lot money. of money. Oh my god. <laughs> Moises Chuyon, thank you. Uh, Jason, this is violent, very difficult to listen to, and it's going to be bigger than Scumball. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, raking is going to be huge. Warren Fry, thank you for being here. Uh, You're welcome, and the worst I can give you is a sloppy lick. (laughs) Cicero (laughs) Holmes, thank you. Uh, I don't have any good catchphrases, but thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, And Austin Rich, thank you for being on as our uh, Max Headroom expert well i don't know about you people but i'm going for a walk i wonder where this wire goes (laughs) and thanks everybody out there for listening to this episode of the incomparable yes it it was wonderful wasn't it 